as a black woman, when you meet somebody, the first thing they meet is all the stereotypes of black women that they've heard. And then once they meet you with that stereotype, then they start to deduct from the stereotype based on their interactions with you. And I find that quite a burden to bear where before I open my mouth, you meet me as a black woman with all the stereotypes you've read and seen and watched, and then you start deducting. Welcome to Flourish in the Foreign, an award-winning podcast that celebrates, elevates, and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad, while exploring living abroad as a pathway to wellness. I'm your host, Christine Job, a Black American woman with Trinidadian roots, podcaster, business strategist, and entrepreneur based in Valencia, Spain. Hey everyone, welcome to Flourish in the Foreign. I am Christine and I'm so happy that you have decided to listen to this episode. If you are new to the podcast, perhaps you have not checked out the Flourish in the Foreign website where you should. There are so many resources to help you get, stay, and thrive abroad. And also there are blog posts that really talk about not only moving abroad, but also the sustainability and longevity of living abroad. How do you do that and why do you do that? You can check that out at flourishintheforeign.com. So I got a lot of questions about build a business abroad. People people want the program back. And I told y'all, I put it on a hiatus and I got an overwhelming response about that. A lot of y'all are like hiatus, hiatus. Let's get to popping with this business. In the meantime, between time, I've decided to do something that I never do. And y'all who've been listening to the podcast long enough know that I have not been doing this. (laughs) But I'm actually going to do a limited time offer. And y'all also know when I say limited time, I mean that. I'm going to do a limited time offer for a one hour consult with me about your business So I want to help y'all out. Now, as you guys know, I'm a business strategist. I don't usually do a la carte, like one-off consulting sessions, but I'm actually going to do a, like a discount. This is not open for previous or current clients. Sorry. This is only for the newbies who are like, where do I start? Where do I go? And I'm actually going to do this for $150 an hour, which is an incredible discount that I do not ever do. But I actually, I really want to talk to y'all. So this is what I'm going to do for y'all. It is a limited time offer. My books are only open through the end of June. So if you're serious for real, you need to go ahead and book with me. Okay. Don't hem and haul. Don't be like, well, I don't have an idea. You can come with no idea. We'll talk about how to get an idea. And probably by the time I finish talking to you, you get an idea. You don't have to be like, I am i don't know if I have a business. We will get you straightened out by the end of the hour because that is what I do. This is not the time for you to doubt yourself. This is the time for you to bet on yourself. An opportunity like this, at least for me, is not going to come back around. So if you are interested, go ahead and sign up for a build a business abroad one hour strategy consult with me today. Do not wait. Okay. 
So I wanted to share with y'all a testimonial I've received about this business strategy offer that I'm currently doing. So listen to this testimonial by KSM. That's how they want to be referred to. And, you know, listen to what they have to say about working with me. I just had an amazing call with Christine from Flourish in the Foreign podcast. I had a business call with her for business strategy and it was dope. It was really energizing. I felt really good. I felt really honest and I felt seen and like I felt safe to be as honest as I was, which was really helpful for me. I can tell that she has an imagination that she's able to ground in practical next steps. And this is what I like. And she's introducing me to more people. So I felt like it was a really good investment, amazing return on my investment. I felt really solid about just talking to her as a person. Like her whole demeanor was just really beautiful. I feel like I would work with her again. Like, man, like she's just really solid. Thank you again, KSM, for the wonderful testimonial. It was so great working with you. And for all of y'all who've been on the fence, let's go. Let's do it. This is the time to bet on yourself. This is the time to get clear and confident. Y'all got six more months until 2024. And although time is a societal construct, you know, y'all might want to get it together. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I mean, if you want to chat with me about it, let's let's get to going. So schedule today. Don't wait about it. Don't think about it. Schedule today. And if you're listening to this in the future or if you're listening to it and it's still June 2023, but all my time is already booked up, then sorry for you. So, get in where you fit in. All right, on to this week's episode. Season four, episode 15. Today's episode is a book club conversation. Y'all remember when Flourish on Foreign had like a book club very briefly? Maybe I'll bring it back, but like nobody was really coming to the book club. I mean, no shade, but like nobody was really coming to the book club. Anyway, if y'all want the book club to come back, y'all need to message me and let me know and also show up. But today's episode is a book club recap with the author. Yes. Today we have Lola Akamandi Akstrom, who is a past guest of Flourish in the Foreign. Yes. Season one episode 50. Check it out where she talks about her journey from Nigeria to United States to Sweden and her evolution as a travel photojournalist and just incredible writer and author. But today we are talking all about her extremely successful and very good book, In Every Mirror She's Black. So if you haven't read the book, go ahead and download and purchase the book. It's good. I really enjoyed it. As you could probably tell from this episode, I had so many questions. I had so many thoughts and feelings. So if you haven't, go ahead and go get the book and read it. And then listen to our conversation about In Every Mirror She's Black. All right, let's go. 
I have so much to say about this book. One, I think it was the, this is the our very first book in the Flourish in the Foreign book club. Yeah. And I think it was actually the perfect book to kick off our book club, because as you know, Flourish in the Foreign is all about celebrating and elevating the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad, yes. but also exploring living abroad as a pathway to wellness. And in this book, we have three Black women who are living abroad. They are not thriving. Not mm. No one's thriving. Mm. And, you know, I think it's safe to say that they all decide to move abroad to find some aspect of wellness that no one really got. So I felt like this is so necessary. I feel sometimes there's a lot of escapism and romanticism yes. with like living abroad, especially as Black women. And I'll say personally for me, coming from the United States, like just go abroad and everything's going to be better. And it's Correct. like, no, no, it's not. So I want to get started with first, why did you choose the title In Every Mare She's Black? Absolutely. And thank you. And I, I did want to touch on that quick point you shared about, you know, thriving abroad. I wanted to give all the facts, right? So that you can then make your decision. Because I love living in Europe. There's so there's a different kind of standard and quality of life. But at the same time, you have to have all the tools to choose. Is this what I'm going to give up when I move here? Is this what I'm not going to give up when I stay here? So that was very important to write this book. But the title in Every Mirror She's Black is actually, that came, that came up internally at the publisher because the working title was actually called Afro Swede. And I had intonations. So on the Afro, I had the Swedish umlaut. And on the Swede, I had the African intonations. So, so when they tested that with readers, they were kind of confused. They thought, is this a poetry book? What's going on? Is this some mystic language? And so we tried different titles in-house. And I think it was one of the sensitivity readers at the publisher that said, how about In Every Mirror She's Black? Because it captures fully what the book is trying to say. And of course, when they tested that with, you know, kind of readers and the focus group, they loved it. And so that was kind of how that title came about. I I love that title. And when we when we were chatting to record for the podcast way back last year and you told me the title, I immediately was like, oh, I like this already. <laughs> because I think, wow, it encapsulates so much, right? As a black woman abroad, outside of black spaces. You're just in every mirror, you're black. No yeah. one knows you're Nigerian, you're from yes. here, you're there, whatever it is, or with your class or your privilege, you're just a black girl. That's all Absolutely. we know. Absolutely. And and but, one thing I did want to say is that as a black woman, when you meet somebody, the first thing they meet is all the stereotypes of black women that they've heard. And then once they meet you with that stereotype, then they start to deduct from the stereotype based on their interactions with you. And I find that quite a burden to bear where before I open my mouth, you meet me as a black woman with all the stereotypes you've read and seen and watched. And then you start deducting from, well, she's not too bitchy. I take this out. Well, she's not this. Well, well, she can't twerk. Take this out. Like you just deduct from the stereotypes. So that, yeah. I completely, completely agree. I have a whole list of questions, but I want to ask, Alexander, do you have any questions you want to throw in right now? Or you can always jump in at any other time, too. I just want to open it up for you. Oh, hi. No, I 
I, this is my first book club. So I just finished the book yesterday because I was like, no, I need to finish it because <laughs> last month was a very long month for me. But, you know, there are just times where I was like, <gasps> or I was like, oh, my gosh. And I read the last page twice, mm. just like the last sentence. And I was like, who dies? Mm. And so when I kept reading Muna's part and I was just like, and you mentioned about the trains being stopped because somebody died on it. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I thought mm. a car or something of a sort. But then when I was getting closer and closer to the last page, I was just like, all right, we're taking like five minutes to finish the last couple of sentences. Cause I was like, I knew it was her cause mm. it was that, or it, I wouldn't know what it, what it would have been, but Mm. I don't have any questions yet. No, but but the and the, the end is open. It's kind of open ended, right? You know, mm-hmm. the way I ended all three stories is actually yes. quite open ended because, you know, Muna jumps, but we don't. That's it. We don't actually know more than that. So it's the reader that's assuming, yeah, something happened, right? So, because I am working on book two, so, you know, so it's, (laughs) so, so it's, it's to kind of wrap up those stories, you know, because it's just so many open-ended questions, you know, at the end of each of those. So, but with Muna's stories, just, I'm letting the reader assume, but we don't know because I wasn't explicit. Oh, oh, okay. Well, that has me thinking now. (laughs) But yes, you know, she did jump. It made me sad and it made me cry a little because her story was just so sad from the beginning. And then everyone just leaving, dying, passing. It's just like she just can't catch a break. And it's it was just sad. So, <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and, I, and, I, and that's why I also created Muna's narrative. Right. Because it's it's real. All those stories are those are real kind of sort of lived experiences that black women tend to go through, you know, and, and especially living in Sweden, you know, where there's a lot of refugees and it it was important to not just only show the tokens that, Oh, look, this is just the one, you know, Somali woman or two Somali women that are thriving, but there are hundreds, you know, that are still trying to, to be accepted, you know, in society Mm -hmm. and, and white dominated spaces like to hold up a few people. Mm-hmm. As tokens, we know that you know, as black women, so but but we we need more, right? We need more, yeah. I found it really interesting. So, we we have you know, Luna, Kemi, and Brittany that are one, you know, differing, differing heritages, but also differing privileges and classes. But mm-hmm. also, what was interesting is, is that the differing classes also seemed to dictate how they needed to integrate or not integrate into Swedish yes. life. Yes. And I found that, I felt like, oh my God, this is what people don't recognize. Like, this is what it is when people are like, oh, you can move it. You don't got to speak the language. It's like, what? You can just move somewhere and not speak a language and be bored and be tired. Mm-hmm. How much privilege that is yes. to be able to do that. And I found that so interesting being, Muna being basically fluent, even though I think she she wasn't strong with the writing, but mm. then Kemi, who was trying, who was conversational, trying to become professionally conversational, and Brittany, who was like, they speak English, they 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 yes. treat me better when I speak with my American accent, which I have had that true. experience living in Spain, where they're like, negra, and then they're like, oh wait, 
American. Mm-hmm. All right. And the whole demeanor changes. Yes. And I found that to be so relatable, so yes. relatable, but also so, oh, because that speaks so much to class privilege, yes. passport privilege, all yes. those things that I think sometimes people don't think applies to blackness because it's mm-hmm. like either well, all y'all are black and none of y'all got anything or all of you are Western black. So exactly. you're fine. And you know, Beyonce or something. It's very interesting. So I loved, I really loved that because um, how yes. powerful of a statement is yeah. that? Yes. And, and I'm glad you picked that out because I keep saying that this book is very nuanced. It's written in a very accessible way. So you're kind of breezing through the story. It's, you know, tight prose. But there's so, there's so many layers to this book. It's just one layer with a class, you know. Another layer is people are expecting all three of them to be some Charlie's Angels group of sisterhood. No, <laughs> you know, they, they don't roll in the same circles. Why will they be just because they're Black? You know, and there's so many kind of, there's a lot of social commentary in the book, right, from different angles. But it's not in a throw it in your face. It's just more of this is just how these Black women are living their lives day to day. Hey, and I love the fact that they were not friends because they wouldn't be friends. Yes. I think that's also something that drives me nuts, you know, being in expat forums and people are like, well, where's the black community? And you're like, well, what kind of black community? Not yes. just, you know, like heritage and nationality, but also in culture, but also class. And that's not something right. that people want to talk about Correct. because that is so important. The yeah. only reason these these three black women were ever in proximity were because of this white man. Yes, and you know, I mean, Muna was was so starstruck, but she was so just full of admiration for Kemi and the things that yes. was possible for her, yes. which I thought was so beautiful. And she thought about maybe we can go and to espresso hut or something yes. and get like a coffee and have fika. And I thought that was. So sweet, and I wanted that. I wanted like Kemi to like mentor her and, yes. her and help her become an accountant. Yeah. But I would say that I was not surprised at all that Kemi and Brittany were not friends because yes. I was like, <laughs> they weren't going to be friends back in the states. Exactly. Fact, you know, Brittany wouldn't have even rolled anywhere close to I think Kemi's circle without Yanni. To be yes. honest, yes. So I'm like in DC, you know, Kemi's this high-powered executive, and especially yes. in the city of DC, where everyone's like, "What do you do to exactly. you? And yeah. even though you're, you know, you're a flight attendant, which is a fine job, and yes, you work yes. business class, they were never going to be friends. Like exactly. they would never know each other. Exactly. And I thought that was so well done because too many people are like, "Well, we're just all friends because we're black." Exactly. And I was like. No, we're not. And and you know, I want I wanted to shed a bit of light into Kemi's character because Kemi is also a very super judgmental char- character. She's super judgy. And in the beginning of the book, when she meets Johan, you know, Yanni, she says, "Is this how utterly attractive people suffer in their skin? That the world is not ready to listen to beautiful people decry their beauty as a disadvantage? To say that, oh, I'm so stunning. That's a disadvantage because people are looking at me, right?" which I took and turned on his head because it is an objectification when that Yanni is not comfortable in his skin. So that when Kemi meets Brittany, she's already coming with this judgment of 
really kind of stunning, beautiful, quote unquote, perfect looking people. And that was why she was rude. Mm-hmm. At a dinner party was saying, well, you have everything and you still don't do anything. That look at me, I have to work for everything. And in that moment, Kemi wanted the readers to, to kind of empathize with her, but the readers actually empathize with Britney. Because mm. at that moment, you had already known Britney's story, known what she was struggling with. And yeah, so I wanted to show that dynamic there. I, I love that. But I also want to talk about something that, you know, my audience always asks me about. So then I always ask my guests, which is dating abroad. Mm. And the way that, you know, because the show is not about dating abroad, you can only talk about so much. Yes. And I loved really everything you did with this about dating abroad because <laughs> it's not it's not like, oh, I went abroad and I found a man and everything yes. is great. <laughs> it's like, it's just, is it? And I wanted to bring up, I have all in my Kindle here. I have like uh-huh. everything highlighted here. So I'm going to try to, I think it starts when Kemi is in the cab going to Sweden mm. with the cab driver where he says, I know you're kind. She said, excuse me. He says, I know you're kind. You and your white boyfriends always acting jumpy when your brother tries to talk to you. Mm. Which I thought, this starts (laughs) it, right? This this is very interesting, right? This interesting dynamic of oh I don't want to talk to you this it's because it's really like a class thing with what you're picking up and so he's Correct. assuming that you're of some kind of class therefore you date white men Correct. and you want to talk to brothers and I thought that was such an interesting way to start going into Sweden. Yes. I thought. Yes, yes. And that was a very nuanced scene as well because when she gets to Sweden she then gets picked up by, by a taxi driver that just didn't even talk to her for the entire 45 minutes ride. Where, so I wanted to show that it was a Mr. Kwaku and Mr. Kale, you know, where the one thing that was irritating her, she then missed when she arrived. And I showed the kind of difference in this guy was noticing her, looking at her, talking to her, seeing her, I'm in your back, I'm trying to get your attention, are you married? And then she gets to Sweden and she became invincible in the back of the other guy's cab. Yeah. So I don't know if you, so there, that was that as well. I also thought how interesting that Kemi goes to Sweden. Well, the first, I mean, the first scene of the book where she's mm-hmm. on these dates and she's being, you know, ignored by like, I guess like the hotel character, I think he's like a hotel who's like down for the sisters, but was like watching yeah, exactly, the white men. Exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then the, I think Indian guy who's a yeah. software developer who's like, oh, I like black booty. And I was like, what? Jeez. Exactly. Like, but yeah. I thought it was so fascinating that you, she experienced fetishization in the yeah. States. Yes. And then she experienced it obviously in Sweden in such in such a relatable way, especially when, and I'm not going to be able to find it, but especially when she was in the jazz, cl- in the jazz club with the old man who was like, oh, oh yes, I worked yeah. in Africa. Because yeah. they be saying that kind of stuff all the time. They're yeah. like, yes. I, oh, my ex-wife was black. I got yes. black. And you're like, what yes. does it have to do with me? This book is so relatable, right? Like for a black woman, both in the US and in Europe, but it, like that's a lot of the comments I've been getting is that they just, we we just feel seen in the book. 
in many different aspects of it, right? And that's one of it where it's like a just some greasy old guy comes to you and feels like he has a chance with you just because you're black. And I'm like, dude, you wouldn't even have a chance, you know, <laughs> you know, but just because I'm a black woman, you feel like, oh, it's easier access that, you know, it doesn't have to work as hard to, you know. So I had to put all of that, you know, in the book to show what some of the nonsense we have to deal with, right, in different spaces. Definitely. I mean, I've I've had several women on the podcast who also live in Spain. Mm-hmm. In Spain, and I think it's a lot of Southern Mediterranean is being just assumed to be a prostitute. Yeah. Just yes. no matter what you're doing, assumed yeah. to be a prostitute, which has this very interesting reaction, right? Especially I'm Southern, my my father and his parents from Trinidad. So a lot of social conditioning on being modest, not looking fast, yeah. all these things get triggered when someone assumes that you are a sex worker and you're like, am I putting exactly. that? Exactly. But then also kind of the assumption that if I was a sex worker, that I would be in your tax bracket. Like you would be able exactly. to work with this. Exactly. Exactly. Right. <laughs> it is it is fascinating. Yeah. I, I also want to talk to you about a very painful scene. It was hard for me to read it because I was like, oh, oh, which was with Kemi on the, the blind date with the 21-year-old. Yeah, Sebastian. <laughs> you know, somebody in. else has said that. They said it was so difficult to read. It was so, because I was like, okay, you're about <laughs> to like get your groove back or whatever. Exactly. And the fact that he walked in and walked out and texted and was like, sorry, you don't look like how your pictures, Yeah, uh, you're too chubby, you're too fat. Yeah. I was like, wow, <laughs> oh, <hell no. laughs> wow, no, about beauty standards. And I want to discuss that with you because yes. I've had a different experience with beauty standards, like body image in Spain. Yes. So I first want to talk to you about what, I mean, I have so many more questions about Sweden because yes. I'm very intrigued now. But what is about this beauty standards? What's going on in Sweden? What is? I can that? tell you this: there is a pressure for women to stay skinny. I mean, these are mm. women that just popped out a baby yesterday, and they're you know like jogging with the gym with the stroller. And there's that. There's so many gym. Like it's a very outdoorsy culture, so everybody's always moving, running, doing this. And then it puts pressure on each other because then they see their friends running, doing this. So it's a culture that's super superficial in that way, in terms of, oh, you have to be physically fit because if you're not physically fit, then you're maybe lazy or, you know, just, it's a, it's a kind of weird thing. And it's also a culture that that people don't want to stand out. Right. Mm. So if everybody is kind of skinny, then you want to try and force yourself to be skinny. Right. You know? No, I can remember when I came, I was actually on a train once and I walked past a woman and I don't know what happened, but it's like an older woman. And then the older woman just like cussed me in Swedish, like something, something fat. And I'm like, oh, me? <laughs> I looked at my body. I'm like, I mean, I'm curvy, but I never, you know, you know what I mean? So they, there's a, now it's probably... There are now small spaces that are trying to kind of push this body positive image, you know. But technically, in this part of the world, they are super active. They want to 
I mean, gym classes are so, you know, are like the queue for classes are long. You know, it's, it's, a, yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird dynamic here. So I kind of put that in, in the book in that subtle way. I find that so interesting because in Spain, you know, everybody's white. I mean, there's some, but like, you know, everybody's yeah. white. Yeah. But I find actually for me, I'm, I'm given space because I'm black and yes. no one thinks I'm Spanish. They're like, though there are Afro-Spanish and there are like many generations of Afro-Spanish right. here in Spain. Yes. There's a space, it may be grace or maybe I'm ignored mm. because I'm othered about yes. my body. Correct. Like I am not expected to look Spanish or Correct. be that way. Correct. However, because of fetishization being over sexualized, yes. I don't feel where I, I don't wear shorts a lot. Yeah, you because know, they're gonna look, yeah. They're gonna look like these and these young girls, they have the booty shorts, the little butt is hanging out where exactly. I'm like, my mom would never let me wear these exactly. shorts in my life. Yes. I'm grown and I still wouldn't wear them because I'm like, who knows exactly. what would happen if I started exactly. wearing these shorts? Yeah. So and and, and I do wanna quickly add to that because so that is what kind of society does. Mm -hmm. But that is, so somebody confessed to me recently and it was like, and it was just, just kind of a acquaintance. We're talking about different things. And then he was saying something about that what he wants and what society says he should want are two different things. Mm. Right. So on the outside, it has to be this like gym bunny, you know, and then on the inside, maybe they just want somebody more curvy with like, you know, but society saying, well, this and that. So, so there's a lot, it's just so nuanced and complex, but I like the point where as a black woman, since you're already ordered, then they just give you space. Well, you're black, you tend to be curvy. That's your thing, you know? <laughs> so. And I'm preaching. So I'm like, look, yeah. I'm, I, not, I, I'm not going to do anything that y'all doing. I'm yeah, not doing yeah. none of that. I like spices <laughs> in my food. I'm not doing none of that <laughs> stuff with y'all. So yes, yes. But I want to continue this conversation with, you know, Kemi meets Tobias. He's like all shy or mm. kind of mysterious at first. Mm. Like he gets fired, stuff like that. And she's enjoying him. He's Afro-Swedish, which I think, I mean, honestly, Lola, we could talk about this book for like a week yes. because I have so many, <laughs> I have so many thoughts about like every single character. Yes. But I want to talk about when Kemi was on the phone with Hinde. Kinde, yeah, Kinde, her sister, and she says, "As long as you don't give up electricians in DC to find an electrician in Sweden," and I was like, "That," and she planted that seed, and I love that metaphor that kind of continued on throughout the mm -hmm. book because that is something that a lot of people don't talk about, especially yes. I would say. Western black women or educated black women who go abroad and I'm like, I'm going to have this romance going to be like under the Tuscan sun or Stella or whatever they think yes. it's going to be. Yes. And they don't, or they're not prepared to face Correct. class again yes. and, and decide like, okay, he's a security guard, but I, everything else is great, but yes. he's a security guard. Correct. I thought that was, Perfect. Because, Thank you. <laughs> because, you know, like I live in Spain and people are yes. like, oh, how are the guys in Spain? Mm. And I tell people this all the time, regardless if they want to fight me or not. I'm like, Spain is a country in which it's literally, in my opinion, mm. ran by like the B squad, C squad of, mm. of, the, of the population because mm. everyone else that's ambitious or whatever, 
they went abroad, they this stayed was, abroad. Yeah. Right. Anyone who's here, maybe they're in politics or they have a family business, but mm. everyone else is B squad, C squad, and it's yeah. not a vibrant yeah. economy. So yeah. then I'm like, if you want to be partnered in that kind of mm. socioeconomic thing is important to you, to me, it's kind of like, why would you come to Spain? Mm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So I find the fact that you actually talk about it is so so important because it's also something that when I talk to my guests, you know, they're like, oh, dating, it's whatever, Tinder, things like that. But this is something that is past Tinder and yes. does whoever fill in the blank like Black women? Correct. I mean, it's a conversation, right? Yes, yes. It's about partnership, intercultural relationships. Can you make it work? Is it something great for you? But Correct. also your own prejudices. Can yes. you get over the fact that he's a security guard? Exactly. Plus also, you know, we all have very different standards, right? Mm-hmm. So, and that was, I kind of alluded to this when Brittany and Jamal were fighting and Jamal said, is it because he's white? Mm-hmm. Where will your standards be the same? Stay the same if you are dating a black guy versus a white guy. Are you going to lower them a notch because it, this person is this from this culture? Or are you going to keep your standards because this person is from that culture? So these are things that people don't want to talk about, you know. And so I, I really brought it out, you know, kind of in the open. And then there's a scene where Kemi is with this, I think he's an electrician, Andre that Mm -hmm. she was dating and even Andre says I mean do you think it don't do you really think it isn't going to make a difference to you if you introduce me as an electrical engineer versus an electrician you know and it was challenging as well so I wanted to bring all of that and that kind of also was in the end where I tried to also say that if she had found who she felt like she was in love with and just it was effortless in a way then she didn't need to be have a son to a son. She probably needed a moon, you know, to mm. balance, you know, and that is kind of what the universe is. It's all about balance, finding that rhythm in a relationship where you complement each other, but you're also kind of, in a sense, balancing, you know, bringing yeah. the best out of each other. So the what Tobias was bringing out of Kemi was self-love. It's just saying, I just love you the way you are. You just, just be, you know, you don't have to, be extra, all right, you know? And then what Kemi was bringing out in Tobias was kind of pride that, yes, you know, I am I'm also African and, you know, can be powerful and things like that. So it's, uh, you know, I am powerful. So, yeah, so there's so many layers, <laughs> so many layers, so many talking threads in this book. Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. And if you are, be sure to support this podcast by going to buymeacoffee.com slash flourishforeign and buying me a coffee. You can also write a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and anywhere else you listen to the show. Thank you so much for listening and supporting. Now, back to the episode. And so I want us to talk about Brittany. Mm. And to be fully honest, she's not my favorite character. Exactly. And for a lot of people too. 
there's a lot of things about her where I was just like, girl, we can never be friends because you can't operate this way, you know? I want to first talk about, I would love your opinion, Lola. Do you think had Yanni not come into the picture, hmm. would Jamal and Brittany have gotten married? No, because Brittany will still be looking for the ultimate privilege. Hmm. And Brittany doesn't know what a healthy relationship looks like because she hasn't dealt with a trauma from the past. So when Yoni came, she was just pretty much recognizing a pattern and repeating the pattern. You know, Jamal, I'm Tim Jamal, the guy, straight up wonderful guy, loved her, cherished her. In fact, when she got married to Johnny, Jamal was saying, look, the press is hounding me, but I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to protect you. I mean, that's who she left. <laughs> she probably wouldn't have married Jamal because she still felt like it wasn't, it wasn't enough. Hmm. Even though he was a wealthy guy, I mean, was he had money, you know, it wasn't that, you know, and it was good looking, you know, it was from a basketballer. Like it was, you know, anybody would fall for Jamal, but she just, there was something that just was telling her that that was, there was still one more level of privilege that she needed to access. You found it so interesting that obviously she's repeating this power dynamic, this this power, privilege, financial kind of dynamic that she had with Sam Beaufort mm. and with Yanni. Both of them were obsessed with her, yes. objectified her in that way. Yes. And what I was surprised by is that she hadn't learned. <laughs> I was surprised like that. Yes. But also, I was more surprised that she wasn't strategic. That's what was very interesting to me. Because I have known people and acquaintances who have married into wealth what? or into old like family institutions. And although they couldn't have possibly known everything they were coming into, they understood that they were a part of, they're going to play a role. And yes. they knew why they had been chosen, which was what it was. Yeah. And they played that role of being chosen. They understood that power that they had and whatever they were bringing to the table. Yeah, And they were like, that's my piece. Mm. And I'm going to play it. And Correct. I don't feel like Brittany did that at all. Exactly. Well, because Brittany is actually not a gold digger, mm. right? She actually isn't. She just wants to be taken care of. She just wants to be taken care of. And remember, she's been working as a flight attendant for, what, 20 years or how many years? She's tired of serving people. And that is one of the tankless jobs where they have to, like, put on a smile while people mm -hmm. are, like, being mean and rude to them. They still have to be like, okay, how can I help you, sir? You know, and, and I kind of showed that in a scene where she's walking down the aisle and then Yoni just grabs her hand and then she's, she shakes, but then he pulls her towards him. You know, and then, and then she has to squat next to him and say, how can I help you? You know, while she's still being violated, you know, he just touches her without a permission. She still has to be nice. Yeah. And so I think she was kind of done with all of that and just wanted to be taken care of. And she felt like if I was just in a place where others served me, mm. you know, so she, it wasn't like she was just look like gold digging, looking for. The rich, because she's been, I mean, Jamal, he has money. You know, it's not that. It was just more that. And so that's why she wasn't so much strategic. She just thought, oh, 
this just feels familiar. You know, this feels, you know, I'm going to be taking care of and goodness, this guy wants me and, you know, he has memorized my body. I mean, who doesn't, which woman doesn't want that, you know? And so I think she was thinking on the surface and wasn't thinking deep at all, at all. Yeah, I found her to, as a character, get more annoying as we, we went along. And I was just like, so then when, you know, a lot of things happen, but when, in particular, when Antonia comes to her and is like, my mom's about to cut me off, so I got to tell you. Right, exactly. Which I thought was perfect. Because <laughs> I felt like that was exactly right. Yes. She, Antonia understands her position within this institution. <laughs> yes. And because Brittany isn't a, isn't strategic, isn't a gold digger, yeah. she f- thinks it's like this organic thing where her feelings matter and all these exactly. things. Exactly. Like, no. No, it doesn't. It was a transaction, the whole thing. Yeah. but The whole thing. And so when she is there, which I have to say, I was not expecting Maya Daniels at all. Mm. And then I was like, oh, yeah, he's going to kill her. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what a great yeah. person. Yes. And so, but that put, I mean, I feel like that helped to, I guess, put the point on the fact that clearly Yanni's on the spectrum. He's yes. like, this has not been addressed ever. Yes. And now this is how he's been able to operate. Mm. When... When Brittany confronts Yanni, I was like, this was not going to go well because yeah. she wasn't strategic. She was like, all emotions. He can't lie to me. Exactly. And that's, I was like, as a woman, yeah, it would be great if you had that superpower with a man can't lie to you. Oh, amazing. Yeah. But that wasn't where her power lied with him. And yeah. I'm like, I wish she would have known that her power lied in this experience, this beauty, and yeah, it's completely distorted because you're living out this life of this dead 16-year-old. Yes. But that's the game now. Yes. And for her to think like, I'm going to take my kid and leave, I was like, what money? Exactly. Where are you (laughs) going? You don't speak Swedish. Exactly. Without knowing... I don't know what the custody laws are. She she couldn't have taken him because because that's kidnapping. And I mean, the guy's one percent of Sweden. Like, there's nowhere she would go that he won't be able to find her or get her. You know, like the country belongs to him and his family, pretty much. You know, so there was no. So there's book two. Is all I can say. There's book two. I I, I can't wait for book two because you know, well, you know, and this is why I thought Yanni's gonna kill her too because he did like that lullaby. I was like, oh, oh no. My God. moment I still didn't feel sorry for Brittany I didn't mm. feel sorry for her I yelled at her because I'm just like <laughs> look girl you just thought of something super creepy yes. but you also weren't in love with him you yes. like the fact that he was obsessed with you and you yes. like the fact that you have this privilege and yes. this money but but she then fell and, and so this is the thing right so she went in without care like without falling in love with him but then she started to fall for him mm-hmm. and and that shift started happening when he broke down in front of his parents. And I hope you did Google Translate that scene. I did. I had to. Because I was like, what y'all talking about? And then I was like, what? 
I know. <laughs> Brittany, why do you want? I want to learn Sweden so I can make sure people are talking crazy exactly. to me in my face. Oh, yeah. And they will do it in front of you too. But um, I think that scene was super important. And Alexandra, I don't know if you Googled, translated it, but I can tell you what the, if you remember the scene, I do. Brittany met the parents at the lunch. And mm-hmm. right before they even settle in, the mom says something to Yanni and he tenses up. Mm-hmm. What the mom says is, so is she the toy of the week, huh, Johnny? Mm-hmm. Then Yoni just kind of stares at his mom angry. And then the dad is like, turns to his wife and, and is like, stop that, stop acting like that. She's like, I just want to know, you know, so who is she? And, and then it's like, and then Yoni says, well, I love her. And the mom is like, really? I mean, like, how long have you been dating that is the only black women that matter to you? And then it's like, I'm going to, gonna, we're getting married. And this is before Brittany even knew anything or even proposed to Brittany. It was just like, we're getting married. And then mom's like, what? What did you say? Like, oh, what? how long have you known each other? Is, have you lost your senses? Is she so good in bed that you've lost your head, you know, and just the mom gets angry. And, and then Brittany's like, what's going on? <laughs> you know, so that whole thing is going on in front of Brittany. I feel so bad that I did not even Google that part. I thought because some of the 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 language was like slightly translated or I yes. can just kind of read between the lines. I knew the mom was not happy whatsoever, but yeah. Oh, but I'm going to go still, back and reread it anyways cuz yes. there there's some things I missed and And you see with the translation yeah, is some sections are translated some are not because all three points of view are from the women's point of view. The translations mm-hmm. happen when they begin to understand Swedish. So, for mm-hmm. example, there's a lot of translations in Muna's section, which means she understands Swedish. So it's just translating it for the reader. In Ken, it doesn't really happen until she starts kind of getting comfortable in the language. And then with Brittany, not much translation because she doesn't understand Swedish, what's going on, until maybe towards the end where she knows a few words. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of why it was done that way. Okay. I did not catch that at all. (laughs) I want to ask you, Lola, did Yanni intentionally impregnate Brittany? I will say no, but you know what? I'm not sure because when she was, when she found, when she was throwing up, he actually was like, he was shocked, you know, and he actually said like, oh fuck, like, like it was just like, oh my God, she's pregnant. But when I wrote it, I didn't make him that strategic. Mm-hmm. He was really trying to do it. But I don't know. He could, because especially if he's trying to, uh, but you know, I don't want to give anything away in book two. Okay. Is this being live streamed somewhere? Because there's, because there's something that's going, that you're going to find out about Maya Daniels in book two. Really? Yes. I can't yes. wait. This book. Oh, oh man, that, that's also gonna throw kind of a loop as well. That people are like, wait, wait, what? You know, so so there is um, so I don't want to give too much away. Mm. I want to talk about because I have my little notes here. And wait, Alexander, if you have any things you want to throw in, go ahead because I have so many notes, <laughs> I have so many thoughts yeah. about every single thing, but I, I like that you're touching on the language part and you can't just go anywhere and think, oh, I can just speak English and life will be easy. And exactly. that's not true. Like it's, you know, it's everywhere. English is everywhere. But 
to be able to be in the culture and to be a part of the country that you're now wanting to live in because you're married and you have a child or mm-hmm. whatever the reason is, you have to have at least some type of like at least an elementary level of the yes. linguist. Yes. I feel because then you're just like bombarded with people talking behind your back at work. Of course. Um, that happened to Kimmy and yes. you know caught that and she was like, oh no, they're talking bad about you. And I wonder if she knows. Exactly. She didn't she know after she, she did. Know. Yeah. But and then with Brittany and you know she just doesn't know anything. Yes, <laughs> she's yes. married to this guy and the whole family speaks that language and you're the only person who's odd bought out. Yes, and I just feel I will feel super uncomfortable in yeah. that type of position. But I just really like that. That's why I need to reread it because yeah. I, I want to grab more because I think I missed it in the beginning, but I really caught on to it towards the middle and the end. Mm-hmm. That the language was really being brought into existence, and it's yes. like you can't, you can't have a baby and have a teacher at your home, personal teacher teaching you this language, but you're right. not learning yeah. nothing. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy. You have a yeah. whole force of people helping you raise yeah. your child, but yes. you can't learn the language. Yeah, exactly. Um, but like I see now, we've just, also. But you see, now we've gotten into the Kemi mood of you have all of this. Yes. Later. It's, so, so that it was is like, judgmental of Kemi to do that. But, but yes, she should be pointing that out to her. Like, yeah, you have all this privilege and you're not using it. But, but you know, why? properly. And you know why? Because of what happened when she went out shopping. She realized that they were not going to. It takes a while to learn a language and to be fluent yeah. without mm-hmm. the accent. Mm-hmm. You know, that she says you're an American speaking the language. And mm-hmm. it was when she went out and saw the difference in treatment, she decided mm-hmm. I have to hold my American privilege because I'm being treated like an African. And I am African Nigerian, right? I'm being treated as like an African refugee. Yes. And and Brittany took that and said, you know what? That's why she's actually fighting learning it, is because she notices this the um, difference in treatment. And I said, and I said this because I know a lot of different women in the Nordics, many of them being here many years, some of them still do not speak the language or make an effort to learn it mm-hmm. because of that. I speak Swedish. My, my accent is terrible, but I speak it, you know. <laughs> but I think it's that fear of being treated as less than. Mm. Right? I think that scene... You know, you describe this, you know, other black women, African women with the red braids. I know exactly who you're talking about. Yes. I see her in space. I see her yes. all around Europe. I yes. know who exactly you're talking about. And the fact that they <laughs> bum rush her at the door, like, no, no, yeah. you can't be here. Yes. You know, with Brittany, with obviously her straight weave and tall and whatever. And then being like, oh, no, I just told her that, you know, we don't have her size. It's uh-huh. like, did she buy a gift for someone? And they'd be like, oh, I didn't ask. Yeah. That is something that we've talked about on the podcast about, yeah. particularly with Americans. Americans who really hold on to this American privilege and passport privilege with their, like, dear life. Right? Yes. And they are in spaces, whether it be like the Nordics or a lot of times in the Middle East, this is a conversation that happens where they see other black people 
yes, you know, they're not the same nationality. Other Black people who are not treated well. Yes. And they have to, they're either, and they're faced with that. Some of them yes. are turn a blind eye and yeah. lean into it. And they're just saying, I'm treated like crap in the States. I want to be treated like a king here. And yes. others who mm. really feel very uncomfortable yes. with this kind of, this, this treatment, which mm. I think is often goes to my next point, which mm. is a couple of two scenes that happen when Kemi passes two black women walking and they're in their like Scandinavian wear, which I'm like, what? What do people in Scandinavia wear if wearing colors is like, what are you doing? She's cold, yeah. she's right. And she does, you know, she smiles just with like head nod. They're just like, no. Mm-hmm. And then when it happens to yeah. Malcolm, and he's like, oh, they lost their edge and stuff like that. And yeah. I have a question. I wrote it down. What did I put it? Okay, so this is for both of you guys. Is the head nod a sign of solidarity? Or is it some type of, and I'll say particularly, Black American kind of monolithic exercise? What do you, you know what I mean? Because yeah, I got as, you. As, a, as a Black American, one's like, everybody Black. So yeah, we're not in cool. yeah, exactly. So how do you guys see that interaction I'm very curious. Yeah. So for, for me, I mean, I'm a head nodder. I, I, I look people in the eye and for me, the head nod, head nod means I see you mm-hmm. in this space. Yeah. That's how I've interpreted it. Sometimes when I've gone to places where I do the head nod to, to somebody else that's maybe black, then, then they actually get confused. They maybe say like, oh, good, good afternoon or money. Like they're just a bit thrown off. Yeah. So it's, I think it's more of an American kind of like, yeah, yeah. I see, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. In spaces that we're bringing into. So I don't know, you know, it's, it's either you, you do it or you don't. I am a head nodder, but I also don't expect people to, to nod back. I mean, there's so many times I've walked around Stockholm that I'm like, like head nodding to people and, and, and then they just kind of like, the, I hate you know, the, that. They, they turn away because, you know, they're like, I don't know. You. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, you, well, you, if, if, you, if I was a Karen or Becky or somebody, would I be nodding to every white woman? I said, I don't know you, you know. So that was also in the point of the book. I wanted to create that individualism that the ladies are super distinct so that when they make mistakes, then people can't say, well, that's how all black women are. They're going to make this mistake. No, because Mona will make it or Kemi will make it. Or, you know. So that was what I was trying to address in trying to see black people as this monolithic. If one black man makes a mistake, then you say, well, that's how all black women are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're, I can't believe we're almost at the end. I could talk about this book <laughs> for so long. I want to just touch on something as we kind of conclude, which is the aspect of family throughout these three characters. You know, Mona, I just want to like hold her. Mm. I want to cradle her. I just, mm. oh my goodness. Mm. The, her, her search for family and then now this thought that is being reinforced, which is family is not real. It's not, it's not, it's always temporary. Being attached to someone is not a good idea. That breaks my heart. Kelly and her distance with her family, which I thought was really important to bring up. She doesn't call her parents as much or her sister. And the fact that she lied about having a depressing Christmas and New Year, which yeah. I felt is very relatable. We were like, 
I'm abroad, so I have to tell them when it's great because yes. it's not. And everyone's like, come home. And what are you exactly. doing? Judging you. Exactly. And then it's interesting because she's close to her parents. Yes. But she she doesn't defer to her parents. The people that know her the best, who love her the most, yes. she defers to Yanni and Yanni's family. Yes. And is in protection of them. And I thought that was very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, so I think with Britney's parents, you know, the uh, parents who are not very wealthy, you know, they walk to add a lot and and there's a scene where the dad is going back to the US and he's like, you know, don't forget who you are. I know you've seen, they've seen their daughter over the years, kind of try to use her beauty, you know, to make things easier, right? Because she's like, I'm, I'm this beautiful, why do I have to work twice as hard? <laughs> you know, and, and I think the parents keep trying to say, look, you know, it's all fleeting. Just don't forget who you are. And the parents made that point when Yoni wanted to fly them, like first class, business class to come to Sweden. And they're like, oh, no, thank you. And then they go into their savings, their mega savings to buy economic class tickets for themselves. Right. I just yeah. put it as a line there, but it's a very loaded line. Because, I mean, the in-law, it's the in-laws, he can fly them first class, you know, to Sweden. But they were like, oh, no, thank you. But then they go into their little savings to go buy economic class tickets. And the bad dad was trying to say, don't forget who you are, Brittany, mm -hmm. in your search for, for this kind of privilege and wealth. And I think with, with Kemi, maybe Kemi is also not a good friend to people, right? So like with Zizi and all those people, because she's super driven. She's just focused on her things. And then it's only when she feels bad or needs help, then she calls people. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed she doesn't just call people to say, I want to check on you. She just calls them to either share her own news or ask them for advice or, you know. So maybe Kemi is also not a great friend, you know, mm -hmm. to people. And then, of course, Muna, my favorite character is Yagis, the Turkish guy that owns the kebab shop. <laughs> That's my personal favorite character for many reasons, is the most complex on the one hand, disgusting guy on the other hand, warm guy on the other hand, but he's also the most stable character in Muna's life. And that's why she keeps going back to him. Everybody else is transient, has gone, is leaving, but Yagis is always there. So she sees him as a little bit of a routine or, you know, because everybody in her life is always kind of going away. So. Oh my goodness. I guess in this little bit of time, I still want to have some more questions. <laughs> well, I can give you, I can, I, we can go about like 10 minutes, no stress on my end, you know, and then. So. I wanted to, there was, well, I have all these things highlighted. I want to actually talk about the work dynamic a little bit. Reading this book, I was like, oh, I'm not going to Sweden. No, <laughs> you should, you should. It's a beautiful country. Please, you should visit. I was just like the way that Kemi is treated in the work culture. I just thought was obviously not American. It yes. was obviously right. America is very individualistic. Like you're the one, yeah. you're the rock star. And they're like one first pylon. This is a horrible idea. Yanni can't be this, the face of anything. And then it was yes. like, Oh, it was a team effort and everything. I was just like, yeah. I that graded me in my Americanness yes. so much. Yes, yes. And then having these kind of interactions where people are so dismissive. And yes. I guess I haven't worked a corporate 
I've never worked in corporate before. So mm. that felt very like, oh, I would go home. Like, I'm not. Yeah. No, it's very dismissive. And it's a very kind of like, almost you question people, why do you think I'm in the room? I've got brains. You know, there's a reason why they hired me. But then it's more of like, oh, it's great that you have ideas. Thank you. Let's let us work now, you know, and then they do their own thing. So it's it can be very frustrating, you know, especially for women of color. When you come into spaces where you are clearly the smartest person in the room, but then made to feel like you're the you should be grateful for being in the room. That feeling is a very grating feeling. And I don't and I don't know, I I, I try to make it come across a bit, you know, in the book, which is where Kemi is standing and all of them are like kind of banded around Yoni. I also wanted to show that this is how even white women protect white men. Yes. And I, and I made it that. And then she's like, ah, so this is the super glue that just creates this impenetrable system. Just the way they just, that dynamic was like, "Mm -mm. you're not, you're not going to make him a fool for us. You're not going to, you know, just the way they quickly banded around him. But, uh, but can we, can we stood our own ground, you know, especially when they were trying to be condescending to actually just, she wasn't even responding, you know, to the person that was condescending. So I wanted to bring some of that work dynamic in. And I also want to say, because people keep, maybe sometimes they think I am Kemi or Kemi is based on my life because I'm Nigerian-American. But no, <laughs> I made a Nigerian-American because it's, it was kind of easy to root her and bring more of that cultural element. I mean, I am a Black woman working in a professional setting, you know, in many ways. But I think the character that's closest to me was actually Muna, which reminded me of a younger version of myself when I moved from the US, from Nigeria to the US at 15, mm. where I was, I kind of moved alone, even though I went to live with, with my uncle and my aunt. But I was, I already came with an identity and was trying to figure out how can I fit in or find belonging or let people see who I really am. Because society was trying to really box me in based on me just being a black African woman. And yeah. I said, well, but no, but this is who I am. This is a, these are my thoughts. This is my unique culture. So, so a lot of that, I, so I was actually isolated and sidelined a lot because, yeah. you know, because you tend to do that to people you don't understand. You just kind of, so a lot of those feelings I try to capture in, and bring into Muna's character as well. So Muna is like, I I love her. She's she's definitely my favorite character yes. out of out of all of them. And I guess I'll just say that I also appreciated you the scene where Hemi is tr is made to be the DEI person of the firm yes. just because she's black. And I'm yes. like, this needs to be on a billboard. Yeah, because. <laughs> I mean, just recently, someone reached out to me to be on a panel for DEI. Yeah. And I was like, why would I be on this panel? Because yeah, I'm black. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I don't think you want me to be on this panel because if you want me to tell you about yourself, I'm not going <laughs> to say it in like nice DEI way. Exactly. <laughs> and I thought them being confused, like they were like, as if she's being like obstinate. I was like, what are you so confused about? She's exactly. a marketing executive. She's not a, she's not HR. She, you didn't, she's not HR. She's not. And she's like, why are you looking at me to fix your employee issues? I have no expertise there. I know how to work on campaigns and work. And I thought that scene was super important to include. Because I like, love that she stood her ground yeah, yeah, with because, that. Yeah. And she's like, why am I the one you keep, why do I have to come fix all your issues? The first, I mean, that 
first global campaign was a disaster. Leave your color at the door. We don't need it. While advertising like white dresses and lace and white lace clothes dresses. And I'm like, you know, there's not one person of color in that room when that was being <laughs> decided, you know? So, so she fixed that. And then now, you know, they just want us to fix everything. She's like, no, but then she doesn't get the credits, the full credit. Right. So I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm not here. And that's the thing with what society has done to black women. Once things are going south, they turn to black women to fix things up because we do. We show up to vote for the elections. We sh we're the ones working extra twice, three times as hard because we have all the insight, all the background, like to come help fix things at the end of the day, you know, to come help take care of your children at the end of the day to come, you know, so, yeah. I cannot wait to see how things play out for Kemi, especially. I don't know why she was kissing Ragna. I was like, I gotta oh. see a picture of him because like, I know. <laughs> I know. Well, he's a good looking man, so. He's like all this stuff and uh, then he's talking all like, oh, that would've been a great, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's like, girl. And then she's like, we should move to, then she told Tobias, we should move to America. I'm like, oh, like that's gonna solve these issues? Exactly. Move to the United States? <laughs> exactly. Oh, I cannot, I cannot wait. I'll wrap it up here. As in, do you have any other insights anything you want to share? I did have one question. Was she initially, I know she was recruited for her brains and, you know, to probably help their company with having diversity and inclusion. But was she like, was there like an underlining for her to be there to actually work with HR for these no. type of issues? No. Oh, okay. Because in fact, you're supposed to be like, even when Ingrid calls, like you're going to report directly to our CEO journey. Like you're supposed to be mm -hmm. his direct report. We need you to come. So it wasn't a child. So it was when she got there, then they say, oh, by the way, Ingrid said, oh, by the way, you're not going to be reporting to me, which is HR. And she's like, but that, why? I thought I was a direct, like the CMO doesn't report to HR. Or, you know, like the marketing. So she mm -hmm. was, she had a role that was supposed to be almost like a CMO level when she is supposed to be the director of, you know, this diversity and inclusion on the, on marketing, you know, in the marketing. Mm -hmm. So, so it wasn't for like HR recruitment. That's not the expertise to be recruiting because she was the only black person in the office, mm -hmm. a full office, you know, white people. So, that was what she thought it was for the campaign, you know, so they brought her in to fix that up mess and then just kind of, okay, well, what can we use you for? Oh yeah, this, you know, so, <laughs> because then, then they can say, oh, look, we have a director of marketing, even though you don't use her for anything, she's just sitting there as a figure. Then you can say, oh, look, we do have somebody that is working on this actively now. So we'll, we'll send you the report next year, you know, things like that. So, yeah. Yeah, when they try to get her to speak Swedish on TV, and she was like, "Y'all are not gonna play me," which uh -uh. I was glad. I was like, "No, no, nah, no," because she would remember. Because, and that's the thing. No matter how, even if she was really good after two years, it's the fact that she's gonna speak it broken with an accent, you know, that will make them feel like, "Well, she's not smart enough. She's not." Mm -hmm. And and that is also why a lot of people, business people, stick to English. Especially like me, I speak Swedish, but when I'm going to go describe my business, I tell them, okay, I have to switch to English because then once I start fiddle fatting in Swedish, then they're not going to take me seriously. They're like, oh yeah, wait, wait. 
if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. So you have to speak in the language where, of your strength where you can tell your own story. Yeah. Mm. But uh, yeah, so. I just think this is one, Lola, I just want to thank you again for, I mean, just taking the time to discuss this book. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Uh, um, I felt there were so many great echoings from like the podcast, yes. especially when you were talking about, you know, when you are entering into a space, make sure that you don't allow them to strip all of you yes. in, the, in the process of trying to assimilate or, or integrate. integrate. Exactly. And I thought that was reflected in the book as well. Yes. And I just feel so grateful. Just thank oh. you so much yeah. for thank taking you so the time much. to, thank you. to be honest and for doing this. I Absolutely. really, really enjoyed this book. I feel like I'm going to be singing the praises because I feel like this is, all the questions that people ask me that I roll my eyes about, because there's a lot, because I'm like, yes. look, this is not my expertise. I'll be like, read this book yes. and then come back to me. Thank because you. Because this, I mean, it has so many layers, so many yes. nuances, so many things for Black women to really consider yes. in Absolutely. living abroad. So I okay. love it. Please let me know when, you, when you're when you going to be releasing your second book. If yeah, you of course, you'll know. I will absolutely. love to have you back on the show. Thank you. support you in any way that I can. Thank you, no, thank so, you so much. No, thank you so much. I, you know, I mean, just word of mouth, you know, spread spread the book, you know, tell, tell mm-hmm. your friends. And what really helps an author is if you leave ratings or reviews. That really does help, like on Goodreads and, and Amazon. And, uh, and I'll, I'll share this little tidbit and then I'll leave is the manuscript for this book was rejected over 70 times. Oh, wow. Yes. So I want to share that backstory to you. It was a very rough protocol education. Now I'm super grateful. We have four publishers. We have TV, film. We just released the audiobook. You know, it's going, it's, it's going well, right? But it took all those rejections and me sticking my ground because they did not want the story published. They really didn't. You've read the book. You've read the book. It's like, I don't know who we're going to market this to. So gratefully, we found the first publisher and then the second and then third and fourth, you know, and some super great school. So share it to your friends. Let people know about it. Leave ratings and reviews on Goodreads, Amazon. That always helps the author. I will. I will. And this is so inspirational to me because I'm writing a book right now and to see, to know that your manuscript was rejected 70 times and to now yes. see this rollout and this just well-deserved praise. It's just thank so you. inspirational. So thank, thank you, you so thank much. you. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. And Lola has the sequel coming up in October 2023. It is titled Everything is Not Enough, and we will be having Lola on the show to discuss that book as well, so you can go ahead and pre-order that one. Half of the year is already done. Where do you want to be with your business, and where do you want to be on your moving abroad journey? Where do you want to be at the end of the year? At some point, you have to just lay it all down and take the step. 
This is the time. I'm going to do a limited time offer for a one hour consult with me about your business. I'm actually going to do a like a discount. This is not open for previous or current clients. Sorry, this is only for the newbies who are like, where do I start? Where do I go? And I'm actually going to do this for $150 an hour, which is an incredible discount that I do not ever do. You can find the sign-up link in the description of this episode, and you can find it in the emails that I send out. So be sure that you are signed up for my emails. And as always, big thanks to Zachary Higgs, who produced the music of this here podcast. Remember, it's not about moving abroad. It's not about being abroad. It's about flourishing abroad. So go abroad and cultivate a life well lived. See you next time.